Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm your host, Miriam Ansman, and I'm here with my co-host, Dan Seligson, and our special guest today, Kali Foxman, Director of Jewish Boston. Hi, Dan, and hi, Kali. Hey, Miriam. It's 2019, and I'm here with both of you. This is very exciting to have you and Kali at the same time on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you are my boss, so it was going to (laughs) happen. Very exciting. This is actually the first time, yes, that all three of us have been on uh, the Vibe of the Tribe podcast simultaneously. So maybe we'll say a shehrianu. But today we're going to be talking about Fauda, an Israeli series in Hebrew and Arabic that premiered in 2015 and streams in subtitled translation on Netflix. This episode is chock full of spoilers, so if you haven't watched Fauda but plan to, hit pause, go stream all 24 episodes, and then come back. It shouldn't take you too long. Dan did it in like four days, and he's only a smidgen traumatized. (laughs) And get ready, because season three is forthcoming later this year. And to forewarn our listeners, this episode also will contain adult language, because it will be impossible to talk about this show without it. Dan, how are you doing in your healing from this binge? Uh, thanks be to God, I'm recovering. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, therapy is going well, and they say I'm progressing. So Baruch Hashem. I, I appreciate you asking. Uh, in case you know nothing about this show, here's the setup. Fauda is a political thriller set in the West Bank, whose title means chaos in Arabic. It was created by Israeli actor Leo Raz and Israeli journalist Avi Zakharov. I apologize in advance for mispronouncing many names today, but I'm going to go through as best I can. Raz stars as Doran Cavilio. Doron? Doron. Raz stars as Doron Cavilio, the commander, <laughs> the commander of an undercover counterterrorism unit. Both creators have said inspiration for the show came from their real-life experiences serving in the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces. The basic premise of the show is this. An ex-Special Forces officer comes out of retirement for one final mission to find and kill a Hamas terrorist. Then everything, of course, goes horrifically wrong. In 2018, the show garnered 11 Israeli TV Academy Awards, including Best TV Drama, Best Actor for Lior, and Best Screenplay, Casting, Cinematography, Recording, Special Effects, and then they ran out of categories, so they just decided to give them everything, as well they should. Lior Raz will actually be in Boston as the keynote speaker at CJP's sixth annual High in the Hub event on February 9th. High in the Hub honors 10 young adults doing incredible work in the greater Boston Jewish community. You can find ticket information in our show notes. And so we know that Israeli shows have proven to be quite the pull for American audiences, but usually in the form of English language adaptations. The award-winning shows Homeland and In Treatment were both adapted from Israeli originals. But Fauda is incredibly compelling in its original form with Hebrew and Arabic. So do yourself a favor and do not watch with English dubbing. That's just disrespectful. Something that really resonated with me about this show is how it isn't here to make nice. It's not a show that's going to give you hope or pride or a sense that humanity's violent tendencies have an end in the foreseeable future, which is something that it has in common with my favorite show of all time, Game of Thrones. You like Game of Thrones? I know. It's shocking. I've never told anyone this. As iconic villain Ramsay Bolton says memorably in that show, if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. And if you think that peace in the Arab-Israeli conflict will be achieved in our time, I'd like to study your mind for science. This show forces you to look at some difficult realities, at Palestinian lives in the West Bank, at Israeli lives impacted by constant terror, at the power structures of the Israeli special forces and of Palestinian terrorist organizations in a way that's hard to do but worth looking at. No surprise that um, Roz has stated in interviews that he suffers from PTSD from his years in the army and that writing Fauda was his real therapy. He said, I wrote this show because I wanted to talk about the mental price that warriors pay for their actions. And that's not the only thing that he has in common with his character. Raz is a Mizrahi Jew, just like his character, Doron, and his father was born in Iraq, his mother in Algeria. Like in the show, his father was indeed an intelligence officer and later ran a plant nursery. Raz's first love, Iris Azulai, was 18 when she was stabbed to death by a Palestinian terrorist. That terrorist was imprisoned by Israel until he was released from prison along with a thousand other Palestinian prisoners in exchange for Israeli soldier Gilad Shalit. 
Roz has said about this incident that he didn't talk about it for a really long time, but when he started to write the show, they included a character that was based on her, on Iris, and she dies in the show. This is riddled with spoilers again, um, in a terrorist attack, and they investigate you know how it affects her boyfriend who's serving the army and that's exactly what happened to Roz and there's so many things that connect this show um, with the the real lives that we're talking about here mm-hmm. and like Roz Isakarov comes from a Mizrahi family too and he's proficient in Arabic he actually published a report on the green prince Mossab Hassan Youssef the son of the leader of Hamas in the West Bank And Mossab Yusef turned out to be an intelligence asset for Israel who helped prevent many terrorist attacks. And he said he trusted Azakaroff because of his understanding of Arabic and his connection with Palestinian sources. So there's a real basis in real events that are extremely intense. And this is one of the most intense shows that I have ever seen in my life. And I love intense shows, but my God. So let's talk about about these moments, the drama, the heartbreak. Just Oigewald, everything. Well, let me just say, everything. for anyone who's listening, I watched five episodes in a row. Yeah. And, I'm uh, sorry for what you said. I stumbled out of the room when I finished. So he came into the office. His, his face just, you could tell he'd been through something. Yeah. <laughs> and laughed. Actually, I never laughed. I never laughed. There's no, there's no break to laugh. No. I went through a lot of emotions anyway. Yes. Yeah. I digress. No, it is. It's very intense and it's suspenseful. And at the end of each episode, it's hard to not watch the next because it ends so abruptly and you want to know what happens. Um, So one thing that really got me was the aftermath of Daron's dad's death. And one of the only times I really cried was when Daron and his ex-wife, Gali, were alone and she was talking about his dad. Then she said they will always be family. And I was just full on crying at that. It was very touching. Jeez, I can't even hear about it now. God. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go yeah. On. And obviously, Shireen's death was absolutely heartbreaking. Which we'll, we'll go into in a large amount of detail later. Just an iconic character and just a, ugh, what a death. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I had like 18 heart attacks just in the first season. And I didn't even, before I got to the second season, and then I died and then I was resurrected. Wait, so like, we should just say that the spoilers are beginning to snowball now. Yeah, so sorry. If, you, if you're still listening thing. and you haven't seen the show and you plan to stop. Yeah. <laughs> we already stop. ruined season <laughs> two. So. We'll be here when you come back. Yeah. Um, so like in the first season, we see the young member of uh, Doron's team, Boaz, who's been captured. Um, and he's uh, Boaz is Doron's brother-in-law and he's captured by Hamas and you see some kind of surgery has been done to him in his abdomen and I knew as soon as I saw it that he had a bomb up inside of him and I was right. I hate being always right about TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, you know, the character he was dating on the show, the one that was based on Iris Azulai, you know, we knew that she was about to die in this terrorist attack and there was just this feeling of awful suspense because we knew it was going to happen but I felt so helpless because there's nothing that Boaz, her boyfriend, could do. And he felt so helpless. And Roz must have felt in real life. And we're just getting kind of a minuscule taste of the real agony that they, you know, that he really went through. So for me, um, I would say the most intense, one of the most intense, I can't even, I can't even pick a top 10 most intense scene. But one that really stood out for me is when, uh, Shireen and her husband, who she very, very reluctantly married, Walid, are reunited in an Israeli interrogation room, and they're sitting across from each other. His hands are are handcuffed, and he and then they're they're not only handcuffed, but they're on the they're stuck to the table, so he can't lift them up and hit her or anything. But he is just losing his mind, and the two of them are are in this terrifying scene together. Um, but there are so many of these of these scenes that are just they make your heart pound, like you said, you had eighteen heart attacks, and yeah. I think. One of the genius things about this show is that it can create tension and sustain it over, I don't know how many hours of Fauda I've watched, but yeah. I mean, there's no break. There's no. not a lot of humor. You do get about 40 seconds off for the opening credits. And I, I really think during those credits, they should have a disclaimer like what they put you know, on carnival rides or uh, <laughs> TV ads for prescription drugs. You should really ask your doctor if you're healthy enough to watch Fauda. Seriously. Um, One of the scenes that really resonates with me still isn't a particularly violent scene, but 
it was really touching. And it's when Eli, who's the new commander of this unit, uh, is discussing his mental health around this little fire pit. And it was one of the only times I feel like the show really addressed the lingering effects of trauma and PTSD. And when he is talking about his internal suffering and numbness and how it affects him as a father, that really broke my heart. It's really, it's really interesting how you see the universal theme across uh, both peoples and all geography is trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, trauma in everyone. You can tell everyone has PTSD, but mm-hmm. they don't necessarily know or they won't acknowledge it or they're having a really hard time coming to terms with that reality. But you can tell everybody that this has touched mm-hmm. has been deeply affected by it. Mm-hmm. And that the actors have, many of them have lived this. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, they've all been in the army because they're all of age that they yeah. had to serve. And yeah. they, they've probably been in combat situations in addition to Lior, yeah. but other people on the show. Yeah. And... When they're acting, I mean, you can tell it's coming from a very real place. But also it is coming from a real place because in this, this, uh, their team is an undercover one that spends the majority of their work is going into the West Bank and being undercover. And that's something they really had to do. So if they weren't good actors, that's like a life and death thing. So, and now they're acting as a, like a profession, but that was acting on a different level. Um, so I thought that was just so interesting and, and how that might translate to being on a show versus out in the field. Um, so let's talk about some of these amazing characters. We've kind of touched upon a few that we adore. I love Walid, <laughs> and I know mm-hmm. I might be alone in saying that. Um, but to me, he's like the Ramsey Bolton of this series. He's just He starts out season one as this little baby-faced acolyte of uh, the nemesis of season one, the panther. And like Ramsey, he's young. He's kind of hilarious in a vicious way with an all-consuming ambition that elevates and then subsequently destroys him. Um, it's I, funny. You, th- yeah. you think he's going to be totally incompetent. You no, really... but he's actually, yeah. he's young, but he's been paying attention. Yeah. yeah, he's only 20, yeah. but he was sort of raised by yeah. the panther. Yeah. So he he demonstrates more viciousness, I think, yeah. later on or maybe than you would expect at I first. think, you know, Kali and I were talking about there's you see all these kids kind of running around and well, what are they doing? What And then you think about it. It's like what happens in um, areas where there's a lot of gang violence where kids are kind of raised by the gang and it supplies a family structure or like this this inclusive structure and then it becomes part of their upbringing and their allegiance so I saw Walid as kind of being part of that and that's probably how he got involved and why he's so young and yet he's seen a lot and you know by season two he's in charge of the military wing of Hamas in, in the West Bank which is I guess a pretty great um job for somebody who's 20 yeah I, i'm glad you brought that up yeah because i i've been telling you this throughout my binging of this show which has been a very public binging i had to do some of it at work i'll confess um the parallels to the wire which is an exceptional hbo series that started in the early 2000s and went till the mid 2000s um were just all over the place for me like i could just i saw the yeah. wire i saw the the universality of of life where you are kind of groomed to be a certain way, you grow up with a certain level of violence and how it changes you and then how you take over and groom the next group. Right. And it just, th- there's so much of the wire and, and those themes in the show, which makes me think that this is one of the hallmarks of humanity mm. is, you know, <laughs> when, when dealing with this, these kinds of situations that a person will become a certain way. Right. Like this mm. is about Israel and the Palestinians, but it's not, only about Israel and the Palestinians. It's about people. It's about <laughs> humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to back to characters I love. I have a, a deep and abiding love for the character, the security services Captain Ayub. He's amazing. And one minute he's on the phone with his kids. He's telling them what to do for dinner. And the next minute he is making the most horrific threats to get intelligence out of whoever um, he you know needs to get some intel out of. And whoever has the misfortune of sitting across the table from him, he can make or break you. And then he advises his kids to have burgers when they get home. He's just a fascinating, kind of hilarious 
and character he can definitely compartmentalize really (laughs) um i also love how he how often he's rolling his eyes at darone constantly defying his orders it's like yeah i actually feel like he gives so much comedic Mm-hmm. value to a show that really does not have a place for a lot of it but he just packs it in well then we found out after some googling that the actor who plays ayub itzhak cohen got his start as a comedian and a drag queen and i mean obviously this guy has a phenomenal range yeah. the way that you mentioned he can he can go from a phone call to a horrific threat i mean he can just i can tell that if he had me in the room right now he would break me in oh yeah i would just give up 10 seconds any information yeah, anything you like, need, what buddy. do you want to know i will tell you <laughs> Let me collaborate with you. So I understand that, you know, not everybody likes Walid as much as I. No, I think he's a great villain uh, with an awful beard. Truth. It's not really a beard. It's like hair that sprouts out of random parts of his face. <laughs> it's it's a Hamas beard. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's a certain aesthetic. Yeah. So, you know, we already talked about him a little bit and how the Panther said he helped raise him. And I was like, I need Wally's full origin story. Like, where did he come from? Who are his parents? How did he meet the Panther? Why is he always wearing Puma branded clothing? These are important questions. Inquiring minds want to know. So is that is that the product placement on the show? I wonder if it's. Oh my god! They did. They have a deal with Puma. One. It was season one. I feel like then he graduated a little bit. And then he was more in his military. Yeah. Boss kind of. Which was still jeans, but yeah, you know, and very eager to call himself the boss. He Mm -hmm. does not believe that his authority is assumed by people on the street. He likes to remind people. Yes. But not in a rough way, just kind of say, I am the military commander of Hamas. Right. Yeah. And because he did it by, you know, spoiler alert, clipping the panther at the end of season one, when you think it's going to be like, oh, Daron's going to kill him. No. Yeah. It's Walid. He's like, you know what? I'm going to move up in life. And he it's clips like, this guy mm-hmm. who was his mentor, certainly, and, and close confidant yeah. in, a, in a lot of ways. But who he was constantly feeding yeah. candy to. He's like protecting also. him. He took him to the hospital. <laughs> he slept him out of the hospital. He's like, here's the food you right, like. Right, and then, right. oh, boom, at the end. Yeah. Then he I took his not scarf. expected And wrapped right. that thing around his own yep. neck. Yeah. Can I go back to Walid's beard for a second? Sure. Yeah, so it, it's interesting to me that you mentioned that, you know, it's a Hamas beard, but then um, Abu Smara, who we're not really going to talk about much today yeah. because he, he's the very tall, menacing Hamas sort of executive. Um, he's like corporate Hamas, though. He has a beautiful, <laughs> uh, a very well-defined beard that it looks like he gets, you know, a, a weekly right. or, or bi-weekly, mm-hmm. every twice a week. Groomed. He's uh, groomed. Grooming. And... And he's the guy who's probably in Qatar or somewhere right. when when the shit goes down because they because don't want to get see... his hands dirty or his beard. Right. They and don't... there's Walid with his right. scrabbly ass, well, I think terrible that, beard. That mm-hmm. we've we've basically broken down Hamas here into the various factions by beard. Um, so I think that like when Abu Smara has <laughs> to go out and get money, money. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna he's not gonna look like Walid, but yeah. Walid has to represent on the street, and mm. therefore his beard is. Super sketchy, just like it, the rest of them. It's, it's like his hair and <laughs> But when don't he agree showed up other. in season two and oh. he had it, I was like, that is the look. Mm-hmm. That is the iconic Hamas look that, you know, if you've seen any footage of Hamas at their training camps or whatever, that's what the the look is. That's what's in. And so he was rocking it. What what there was. <laughs> okay, so let's um let's also talk a little bit about the villain of season two, Nidal al Makdasi. So there's a quote from Isakarov about this character. Quote It gave viewers the option to love the Hamas terrorist. It allows women to think about the Hamas guy who becomes an ISIS guy as a sex symbol, unquote. So yeah, this guy I felt so conflicted while watching this and I texted Kali about it because I was like, damn, this guy is terrifying. But damn, he's also really cute. So cute. And this is like part of what they're trying to do intentionally. He's cast really attractive people as the terrorists. Mm -hmm. And then you can't just write them off and be like, oh, he's hideous. He's ugly. And he's ugly inside and out. No, like you have to think this seems like a person that I would talk to and ask out. Like, but no, he's an ISIS. So oh, and his I brother looks like he's in a boy band. Right. His yeah. brother is even Very cuter. Very good looking. Yeah. Like just, just a, a clean cut young man. Right. And, you know, and this is, I think, intentional to flip our assumptions. 
So I believe there should be a monument to Dr. Shireen Alabed in Ramallah and Tel Aviv. I think she, in this show, if there are heroes, she is the unsung hero. She's torn between both sides, and she's being equally used by both sides. To me, I kind of see her as sort of a moral compass. Now, she does have one major moral failing that, Miriam, you pointed out to me, mm. which I, I, I remembered, but she did plant the bomb inside yes. of a human well, being. so she's... So she, she, like many of the female characters on the show, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, are really stuck. There's no good options for, for them. And for her, she's a doctor. She is fairly secular. She doesn't cover her hair. She spent, you know, she spent most of her time in Paris, and she's just in season one. She's just moved back to the West Bank um, to be a doctor there. And so she's a very modern person, uh, but she still has family um, in the West Bank, and, and Walid is actually her cousin. So when they need her, as she's a doctor, to perform surgery and embed a bomb in Boaz, she doesn't want to do it, obviously. It goes, you know, she said it goes against the Hippocratic Oath that she took, obviously. Um, But in the end, she's forced to because they take her mom and they hold her captive and they're like, you you have to do this. And and they brought her there, presumably in her mind, to save the guy's life. Right, she thought... Because he was dying. Right, Mm -hmm. she thought she was going to do her you know, doctor stuff and save some guy. But no, she she was really there to plant a bomb inside somebody else. And, you know, obviously she's not a stupid person. She knows that if you put a bomb in somebody, the idea is for it to go off at some point and kill not just the person in whom it's been embedded, but other people as well. So, I mean, I kind of struggle with the fact that she knew it and did it. But at the same time, she didn't have a hell of a lot of choice in the matter if her mother had been captured you know well thank mm-hmm. you because she is my favorite character and you i know, know I, she's I, that moral yeah, compass yeah, and yeah. um you know because they're, they're all systematically using her they're using yeah. her skills they're using her intelligence and they're taking advantage of her trust and you know she doesn't seem to want to ever take a side she just seems to want to do the right thing um and she she also expects that some people in her life will also do the right thing. And she's dead wrong about that. Yeah. Uh, and in my mind, she is the human sacrifice mm-hmm. that's made in Fauda. Yeah. Um, she's the real martyr here. Yeah. She's the real martyr. And it hurts me to even think about what happened to her and yeah. may her avenging mm-hmm. spirit appear in season three. Thank yeah. you. Mm. So as a side note, I should probably point out uh, the actor who plays her, Letitia. I'm going to say this wrong. All of them. I'm flubbing all of them. Uh, Letitia Ido, brilliantly plays Shireen, is a French Lebanese Christian with a number of Jewish relatives. So in her real life, she doesn't pick a side. And she said per Wikipedia that the diversity in her background, quote, quote, forces me to go beyond religious or ethnic differences. So Shireen, Letitia, wherever you are now, I salute you. She was really, really incredible. And you know, when you see her in season two, she's forced to marry Walid because otherwise she will be killed as an informant. Right. Her right. first cousin. Her first cousin who's 20 and has that beard and she has to marry mm. him. Oh, and she was widowed. Um, Wait, what? I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Shireen oh, is Shireen. a widow. And I think that's why she moved back to right. the West Bank. So she like has already had trauma. Yeah. And then she's totally forced forgot. into this horrible situation. She's yeah. either going to die or she has to right. marry her cousin who is desperate to have a son. Right. Oh, God. And then falls in love with an Israeli and is ready to give up everything, everything. for him. I know. And he just Fs her over. <sighs> she was just manipulated on all sides. It is hard to think about, you know, because when you think about this conflict, you you think about people like this who are just trapped in a situation that there's no way to escape Mm -hmm. and it's and it's it is depressing heartbreaking (laughs) it is heartbreaking but all of these characters are part of their respective power hierarchies but it's also they act out of very personal familial feelings of like family vendetta that's what really kind of explains all the action in the story and in the conflict so the vendettas often find fall in in line with the ideology but the characters put personal revenge above the ideology quite often, which is why this conflict will go on forever. Um, 
Roz says that in season two, thematically, it's about the relationship between fathers and sons and about revenge and about the circle of violence continues because of the need for revenge and about the price that both sides are paying for their actions. Just like The Wire. Right. (laughs) And just like Game of Thrones. Um, So there's this inherent intimacy and proximity of the rivals and enemies and wives and children's and children's wives, children and families get pulled into the violence by proximity in a way that's believable because everyone is related and connected and living three feet apart from each other. I also, I mean, I don't think everyone is blameless. I think there are certain people in, in oh, the Palestinian society blame. who are inciting the hell out of their children and oh, turning yeah. them into killers as as quickly as they can. Which you know, we see. As we, soon we as they can see. walk. And we see this really disturbing scene where there's going to be a, a funeral. Yeah. And one of the children comes over and proudly sings the song that she learned that it just had these horrific uh, lyrics about um, how I want to become a martyr. And, you know, it, it's just... How great it is to kill Jews. Yeah. the, the yeah. And this isn't something that's made up from the show. Mm-hmm. This, no, is this is something that happens and, in real know, life. The excitement is real. And, and um, you know, one would hope that some people can break out of the cycle that is trying to maintain the status quo of Palestinian incitement and hatred and Israeli, uh, I, I think, necessary reprisals and right. and the fact that they, they need to uh, keep people in Israel safe. Um, yet we see that they make some terrible decisions yeah. as well. I, it's just you watching, you say, can someone break out of this? Well, she did, and then she got hung. But that that's right. a different... Right. She hung herself, I should it's say. It's the indoctrination yeah. that mm-hmm. makes this so impossible. Because if you start out at two, and you're always told, your father was killed by the Jews, your father was killed by the Jews, you grow up and you kill a Jew, that's not something that it's easy to escape from. Um, and speaking of, you know, fathers avenging their... Or being avenged by their sons, Al-Maktasi is in part so terrifying because he, he does have this personal vendetta against Daron who blew up his father. Um, and he's so scary because he's a maverick. He acts outside the parameters of what the show set forth in season one, which was like Hamas versus Israel. But um, Al-Maktasi is too crazy for Hamas, He's but he's just the right kind of crazy for ISIS. Um, and he's got a personal vendetta that's more important than towing the Hamas party line. So he gets in trouble with Hamas. They're like, why are you acting like we didn't tell you to do this? But that's a way that parallels Doron, who has no problem acting outside the orders of the Israeli government um, when he's doing something horrific. Nobody ordered him to do half the shit that he actually does in the show. It's just him acting and the team supporting him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of alliances are formed so randomly Mm. like it wasn't always clear to me who people's allegiance was to and why it would shift so like there was a Hamas guy I think the driver of Abu Smara Mm. who turned and then became an informant for Captain Ayub but they didn't really explore what necessitated him to turn on his brethren. Yeah. Um, of course, in the end, they find out and he's killed. But I didn't understand like what was really in it for him. Yeah, the, we, we do see a few instances of, um, in several instances, actually, of Ayub offering medical treatment in Israel. Mm-hmm. So the Panther's daughter receives medical treatment in Israel. Um so this is one thing that Israel can offer that it's just not the same in the West Bank. They can do, they can save people in a way that can't just simply can't be done. Um, so he's he's offering this. He's like, your relative could live. We could give them a new kidney or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few times we do see that. But I know, I yeah, I think you're right that we don't see exactly what the impetus was for the driver to make that call. Um, but perhaps it was something similar or they, you know, promised him something else that was unattainable without without or blackmail this. or saw blackmail to blackmail yeah mm-hmm. there's blackmail as well yeah yeah i mean i think part of why ayub is a fascinating character is the way he can manipulate people like oh, he yeah. comes off as really charming and i got a weird vibe at first when he was talking to the panther's wife i was like does he like like her is he romantically interested I in he her was. um yeah he said something like my dear if i had a woman like you right. before she like shut him up but i i didn't know if that was part of his like act um right toward her 
He's both the good cop and the bad cop. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he can switch so fast. Yes, but I, exactly. You know, like, wait here. I'm gonna right. I gotta get a I gotta get my partner. But yeah. I feel like I feel like and sometimes we do right, exactly. And sometimes we do see him in a legitimate, like maybe truthful self, like when he's talking on the phone to his kids. Yes. So I didn't you know, I also noted that in the scene. I'm like, I wonder if he really does care for her. And he's like, you shouldn't have to pretend like you shouldn't have to live in this life where you have to pretend your husband's dead, but he's really been alive mm-hmm. this whole time. And like maybe he. Re- but, so it's impossible to judge. But that some is something that's so complex and interesting about him as a character. Yeah. What What does he and really feel? He seems really genuine, actually. Like yeah. he was very concerned for the son of his counterpart in yeah. the Palestinian preventive yeah, preventative Secu- security, preventative yeah. security yeah. services or yeah. something and obviously they're at odds but they actually work together quite frequently yeah and he um wanted to help save that guy's son and so there is part of him that i feel like is like very human yeah. and just wanting um to help people stuck in terrible it's, situations it's yeah. so hard to not be that way because of the intimacy of the conflict and that's mm-hmm. that's one thing that Fauda at least from Fauda's perspective the conflict is very intimate everybody seems to know each other or be you know one relative or one friend right. away from someone else and uh, it, it it's hard to completely harden yourself or whatever to to not see the humanity in in the other side when mm-hmm. you're dealing with each other all the time and you know the person who got killed and it's just to me, it's just the the scope is is so small of right. the show. It's mm-hmm. it's a a, glo- a conflict that has global implications. But what we're seeing in Fauda is two dozen people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think also with the situation with Ayub and his counterpart is they have a semi status quo that works for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they each have. You know, they're not on the same side, but in some ways, they kind of are just because they know how to work with each other Mm -hmm. and so having the son of his counterpart be arrested or something like that would totally throw off everything that they've so tenuously set up Mm -hmm. between um between each other and i think that that was also part of it yes it was like i don't want to see your son go to jail or get killed but also this could have larger ramifications for many more families if we don't kind of lock this down. Mm-hmm. And their relationship is so desperately important for yeah. keeping yeah. that semblance like sem- of semi-peace. peace and order they have between the two exactly right. the two communities. Yeah. It, yeah. It's vital, and you know when anything happens to upset that. Yeah. Oh man, I know. Big so, trouble. So we talked a little bit about the tough situation that some of the the Palestinian women um, find themselves in, but in some ways I appreciated their characters and their character development more than the Israeli women we meet, which truthfully aren't very many. Um, primarily the Israeli women are depicted with like, they, they all kind of look the same. They've got long flowy hair, they've got flip-flops, a spaghetti uh, strap tank top, and they've got a joint in their hand, which is not a bad way to live, but isn't super complex either. Um, one of the female Israelis we spend the most time with is Nurit, who's on, um, on the undercover team. But... You know, while she clearly feels conflicted about the way her team is operating outside of the government's purview whenever Daron just goes on a hitting people with hammer spray, um, we never really dig into her experiences too too much. But I think we probably will, or I hope we will, next season. As at the end of season two, we left her storyline. She's in a hospital. She's recovering from being mobbed and sexually assaulted by a group of Palestinians who recognize that she's undercover and attack her. And that scene immediately triggered in my mind... Um, the the memory about when I first heard about the attack on Lara Logan, the reporter in Egypt in 2011, when she was assaulted by a mob because someone in the mob yelled out that she was an undercover Israeli Jew, which she wasn't. But um, when in the show, the mob shouted that about Nurit, I really freaked out. And I was like, oh, my God. And I feel conflicted even asking this. Yeah. But did Nurit somehow caused the riot mm. to begin with by disobeying yeah. Eli's orders to stay put because she basically went off on her own chasing right. and then was alone cornered yeah. needed backup and then it like I think turned to chaos I, the interesting, right? I thought it was turning anyway I, it was I, turning anyway yeah, but I, the thing is that I feel like we need to take a step back because yes she shouldn't have left her post but 
all of these actions happen because of drones um, insubordination and poor decision-making skills. So he leaves everybody else in his team to kind of scramble and do the best they can in the situation. They're just trying to support him and do the right thing, but that's not always immediately clear. So she made a judgment call in that moment to follow kind of what she felt might be the right choice or to provide backup, but it clearly wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think we can really truly blame her fully for that at the end of the day. Like it was really, it's Daron who has to carry the blame for for what happened yeah i think and you know her character is subjected to near constant sexual harassment on the job can we Um, talk about her supervisor seduces her yes Um, i was so happy when he got blown up and and he won't let her into the field either he will not let her into the field well he lets her into the field but then I think she felt like she had to sleep with him as like a oh, quid pro quo. Yes, there was situation. a serious HR problem uh, in that. Yeah. Unit. Like yeah. I felt like he was like, okay, you can come with us, but also. But at first it seemed like maybe he was trying to protect her because yeah. she was a woman. And then. And she did not seem that into him. No. At any point in the show, even after he's uh, blown up. It seemed like she had conflicted feelings. Like right. this guy kind of gave me my big break, but I also had to sleep with him. Nah. Mm. It wasn't a great. Great relationship. No, it, no. no, and it it it's not uh, the dynamic of that group does not say much about you know the way in which the makers of the show perceive equality in Israeli society in the military or in in situations like this. Mm-hmm. She was an object. She was objectified mm-hmm. yeah. throughout. And yeah. also, just she was always having to wear the garb of yeah. Um, yeah the place she was going into. Yeah. So she was always wearing like a skirt or a dress and like is running around. Right. And I was just like, and yeah, all the men have she, to do is change into a right, yeah, they, the exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So she's like, like she had a little bit more like, yeah. to do and a little bit more of a persona to put on, and mm-hmm. you know, having a woman just casually walk around looks suspicious. Yep. So there was more to what she had to do, but there's really no parallel to Shireen, and really not. Um, and thank you for saying that. There really isn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank um, you for supporting me. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I know, Kali, you liked Marwa, who was uh, mm-hmm. Salim's um, wife. wife. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I felt for her in particular, like being stuck in this cycle of violence wherever she went. Like she just found out she's pregnant. She's just trying to live her life with her husband and um, has to, at various points, stand up to Salim's mom for what she believes in. So I thought that was cool of her. And I was like, you go, girl. Uh, She did that a few times and I felt like she actually got stronger in standing up for herself as the season progressed. And by the end, she's like, I'm not taking any shit, especially from her brother-in-law, Al-Makdasi, who apparently was, is in love with her. And at one point um, tried to give her like this orange chocolate bar because he's (laughs) like, you used to like this when you were kids. And she's like, oh, hell no, I'm throwing this in the garbage. And um, yeah, bye. Yeah, she has, she goes through some tough things. Like uh, Ayub threatens to make her miscarry that the baby which was dark that was the darkest moment for me and i don't know if he actually would have followed through but she had no way to know that i know that was so you know, that dark. was part of the menace that was Ayub right because one right. minute he's like charming and you're then like, he would never and then you're like kids. Oh, he was, was never very dark. nice to her that's for sure no yeah, no um no. but yeah i did like when she was talking to al makdasi and he's like you can marry me now that i accidentally killed your husband who was my brother um and she's like I don't care how hot you are. You're an ISIS. You're a psycho. Thank you, next. <laughs> was his beard kind of a hybrid between a Hamas beard? And it was a... not a Hamas beard. No. No. It was... But it grew a lot of a long way up his face. I it was mean, practically to his I eyes. I thought he could probably do a little better in that department, but I'm not going to complain. He needed some neck and, Still better uh, yes. than and upper cheek yes. grooming, I he would He did, say. but he, that wasn't his focus. His focus was on decapitating people. Mm-hmm. Which I did was that a full decapitation? Well, we didn't see it, but I felt like knowing ISIS, that's their mo. And then what was so crazy though was that like he was kind of chastised later for like, okay, you need to actually have (laughs) your prisoner in the correct garb with the flag behind you. So for someone who supposedly was like training in ISIS this whole time, then comes back, but again he's a maverick doing his own thing. But then they're like, orange jumpsuit is there for a reason. Gotta put them in the jumpsuit, or why are we doing this? (laughs) 
Um, I thought that was kind of funny. I mean, it's, it's not funny, but it was a little funny. Well, we're trying to make light of the funny. most unfunny show right. TV ever. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as we kind of mentioned, we, you know, we see Palestinian children, um, subjected to indoctrination, um, celebrating the death of, of Jews. I think they're actually eating pastries to celebrate the death of Daron's dad. Um, so we don't see an exact parallel to that on the Israeli side, but we do see um, Ido, Doron's son, pull a gun several times <laughs> during the course of the show, both mm-hmm. the first and second season. Uh, in the first season, to threaten his mom's lover, who's also on the team that she's cheating on Doron with, and he chambers a bullet and because he's been watching his dad do all these drills in the vineyard and with his gun, and he knows what he's doing, and he's absorbed all of this, and like he nearly clips him for that. Yeah, you know, he like, literally pulls the gun on. Yeah, someone and he's like, and he tells his dad, he's like, I twice. got one, I got it in the chamber, or yeah. something like. It's like, and and this poor kid, he was kidnapped, I held know, hostage on um, the way to his judo tournament. I know insult to injury. Oh, poor you know, in season three, he will finally shoot someone. I feel I'm like sure of this. I really thought he was gonna kill um, Al Makdasi at the end. At the end of season two, the big you know climaxes, both Daron um, and his son are. are kidnapped essentially on the way to Ido's uh, tournament mm-hmm. um and I'm like oh my god are they are they both going to get decapitated here like cuz you see Daron in the jumpsuit and you're like oh shit yeah um but but at one point um Ido gets the drop on Amakdesi and he's got the gun and you're him. like oh my god please do it <laughs> yeah yes that was and intense. I was like rooting for this child to kill him I know is it was, uh, that poor kid he must I be know. traumatized I mean. fully fully traumatized by now is there anybody who is not? Well, I in feel this like there's so many innocent children getting up, wrapped up in such adult themed business. And you were saying it's like being raised in this gang culture where yeah. you're just wandering around. But then there's like this little kid bringing food to Al Makdasi in his hideout. And like, how did he even get involved? Um, side note, there yeah. was no like lock on the hideout where Al Makdasi ha- is like holding Daron hostage and is going to kill one. it. Like, it's just like. Okay, right. and then the kid ends up saving the day right. by revealing this location. Um, but he's not the only like random kid just running around. There's someone helping the panther. Yeah. Um, the panther gives him some money, so maybe like that's what's in it for him. The wire. Um, the wire did it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these, just might, these little boys these just, might like, be the children intense. of people who are either imprisoned by Israel or killed by Israel, mm-hmm. and so they. You know, I may be making assumptions here, but there are, you know, children who don't really have a home life and this becomes... Like Waleed. Like Waleed. Yes. We, we can assume that was a similar parallel to what he was when he was a little yeah. younger than 20. It's really sad. It's and devastating. They all need therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so much. Yeah. <laughs> so much therapy. So all these actors are absolutely incredible, pretty much across the board. Um, and... You know, we were when we were watching this, we were interested in to know who's playing the Palestinian characters. And most of them are played by Palestinian Israelis. Um, several are from Haifa. Um, Shadi Mari, who plays Walid, is from Jerusalem. Uh, Hisham Suleiman, the Panther, is from Nazareth. Um, and you mentioned uh, Letitia, um, who should get all the roles in the world. I think she should be the name, n- new James Bond. Like, she should be everybody. Um, Wait, can I just say one yeah. thing about the guy who plays the Panther? So yeah. in doing some research for this, I was reading that he actually, through his um, publicist or agent, had to put out a statement being like, I am not my character. Oh, my God. Like, it, sure. it got really intense, and he was getting, I guess, a lot of, like, comments on his Facebook page or something. Oh, wow. And he's like, I am playing this character, right. and these don't represent my personal opinion. Right. The fact that he's still alive should be proof right. enough that he's not his But you character. know who I right. bet does not also get that kind TV. of social media attacks? It's Al Makdasi. In Israel, he's yes. like a star now. Hot like, Oh my God, yeah. Yes. We did refer mm-hmm. to him as Hot Isis because I couldn't remember what his name was. <laughs> they referred to him by multiple names right. throughout so like, until we sure, got it. He's we the Isis like... guy who's hot. Yeah. Um, so like, but I don't know if he's getting, I don't think he's getting the same kind of negative, like you are, you are the same person. Right. You are actually an Isis. Right. I don't think right. he's getting that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's see who else. So on the, on the Israeli side or the Israeli team. Um, Ross himself was in last year's Operation Finale, which was a really great movie, and we went to see it and we reviewed it. It was uh, really awesome. Um, 
Zaki Halevi, who plays Naor, is famously married to Lucy Aharish, who was the first um, Israeli Arab uh, newscaster in Israel. And that was like a huge thing when they got married uh, last year that somebody from Fauda and, the, you know, mm-hmm. Lucy were getting married. Um, and he actually served in the same special forces unit as Raz did, which I thought was so interesting. They all have this background or yeah. something similar. Wow. Um, and several years ago, he was in a movie alongside the guy who plays Walid and the guy who plays the Panther called Bethlehem, which I think we should probably watch. Um, and then Rona Lee Shimon, who plays Norit, is going to be in an adaptation of Why the Last Man, which is a comic book that I really liked. And that's really exciting. Um, and then uh, Tomer Capone, who is Boaz, who really was a paratrooper in the Israeli army. He was in Seven Days in Entebbe, another movie reviewed last mm-hmm. year. And he's starring in the new Israeli show When Heroes Fly, also uh, just released on Netflix. And Amir Khoury, who plays Samir um, who is the clean-cut younger brother of Hot Isis. Um, he was also in Seven Days in Entebbe, and he played the young Palestinian martyr in The Little Drummer Girl. So he's been in several things. We that... should have had a trigger warning for Hot Isis. I, I regret that now. Yeah, I regret that too. But that look, look, I just <laughs> call just it like I rolling. see him. I call it like <laughs> I see him. <laughs> so how about some random, since we're about to wrap up, some random quick mm. hit thoughts on Fauda. Kali. They smoke so much. Like, I cannot get over it. Just constant, constant smoking. Um, Also, we refer to the fact that Daron and Ido were in a, or they were captured on the way to Ido's judo tournament. How did they not die in this head-on car crash? They did not. It was a side-on car crash, but as soon as I saw, because I can predict everything that happens in TV shows. As soon as I saw that truck, I'm like, oh, that's going to that's gonna gonna ram them. Because it's yeah. something that we've seen in a lot of TV shows, Just, let's face it. But they didn't even appear injured. They were only minorly um, scratched. Yeah. Minor, yeah, cuts yeah. and bruises, bruises on the face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And then I was also like, why is their command center always just like outside under this like weird tent? <laughs> like, I, I, I never quite got that. Mm. That is a question. Um, I just uh, was struck by the moment that the show went really meta in season two, episode seven. I took notes. Uh, Narit says to Doron, "This whole thing is about you, isn't it? This is your vendetta." Well, that's exactly and Narit, what for I'm once, true. You were right. Yep. Um, another thing I just was thinking about when I watched it is that one of the primary criticisms of Fauda is that you see violence and terror and planning for terror, but the show doesn't give any indication of the everyday impact of the occupation. This is one of the the things that I've read about it. Um, but in the same way, and I'm uh, putting on my Israel hat here, uh, I noticed that it really doesn't spend any time showing the impact of terror on Israelis at all. And there's no. a relationship there. I think that the right. makers of Fauda uh, know that they can't tackle everything. They can't tackle the uh, Palestinian-Israeli conflict. So I'm going to give them a pass. And the show works because, as I mentioned before, the universe that in which this action occurs is very small. Um, and I actually preferred it that way. Absolutely, because if if it were any bigger, then they you'd lose track and you wouldn't be able to have the intimacy of the right. characters. Then it, it would become just a political show and mm-hmm. not a personal show. Mm-hmm. And now I believe that Baltimore and the West Bank are pretty much the same place because same of my place. whole wire problem. But I'm going to move past that now. Baltimore might be bigger. I'm not sure. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just I think as someone who doesn't know as much as the two of you about sort of maybe real life in this conflict zone, I was like, how easy is it to just go into, get, go in and out undetected? Like, how did, how did no one like know al Moktasi was crossing the border? Like right. he, he's so like- that part actually, I don't understand either. I was like, yeah. shouldn't his like picture be up everywhere? And like, if they actually just looked at his face, be like, oh, this is the guy who is on the most wanted list. So right. um, it just seemed like, you know, they would go back and forth. And then when they were, when the team was on their missions, like Daron's missions, they would like a van would just drop them off and pick them up. And like, no one noticed. Well, like, I don't know. So I think that's them. easy. That's, okay. that's easy. It's easy. It's easy for them to go into the West Bank. It's not so easy in the opposite direction. Uh, right, right, right. Um, and in fact, even uh, I traveled from Jerusalem to Ramallah to get mm-hmm. into the West Bank. There's like, they wave to you, hi, welcome yeah, to the West Bank. Yeah, it's super when easy. When you leave, there's a major checkpoint okay. to, yeah. to get yeah. into Israel. Like, you don't even realize that you've left, um, you know, you've okay. left Israel, now yeah. you're in the West Bank. You don't know. Right. You just drove two feet. Well, there you are. Yeah. And I don't think I really appreciated, like, how small yeah. this is, like, w- what you've been talking about, um, just how 
it's so personal. Everyone seems to know everyone. And like that confused me at first. But in watching it more, it's like, oh, this is actually set in a very small place. Like the physical distance is not big at all. And yeah, everyone just knows everyone. Yep. And just reporting on their lives and Mm -hmm. what they're doing. So, uh, you know, I, I was wondering from both of you, how did the show change your perceptions and maybe the large if we want to speak on behalf of other people, the general perceptions of the conflict and and current events. Yeah. So, I mean, I just feel everybody is avenging the death of someone they love. Everything is personal. Um, so that's why this, this is going to go on forever because you can never escape that personal level. You can maybe have arguments ideologically, but on a deep level, if someone's killed your father, you feel that and you want revenge. Um, I was struck by the way in which Israelis pass for Palestinians and Palestinians for Israelis. And the show really undercuts this really dumb idea that some people unfortunately have that the conflict is about white people versus indigenous people of color, which is just so inaccurate. But some people here have that notion. And again and again, the show demonstrates how Israelis and Palestinians are so similar in appearance. You can't tell them apart who speak each other's languages. They know each other's religious customs and mannerisms and deepest fears, and they're tied together forever. I think the show makes a really compelling case for Israelis learning Arabic and Arabs learning Hebrew, not so they can impersonate each other like on the show. Although it helps. Although it helps, but rather to gain compassion and understanding. That's how you dialogue with language. Although, you know, I can't really speak to it because I only know English and I'm barely competent here. So if anybody out there, you could do it, then I encourage you to learn Hebrew and Arabic. I would say that it made me a little bit less naive about how easy it might be to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I know that Fout is fiction. I'm, I'm no fool. Well, sometimes I am. But uh, it, it's not necessarily a struggle against one nation's aspirations versus another. It's tribal, and it's very primal. And I think it's going to be extremely difficult to overcome the generations of animosity, distrust, and the cycle of violence that this show uh, shows maybe realistically. And anyone who thinks that they can strike up the quote political deal of the century is completely Um. ignorant to the tribal aspect of this. And it makes you wonder, can our two tribes ever live together in the same space at the same time? Fauda suggests to me that it would be extremely difficult. So yes, I finished my binge completely hopeless, but also deeply entertained. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I also was left feeling that an end to violence seems impossible. We know that research shows that violence and trauma are inherited through generations, which was so clearly on display here on both sides. And it's such a vicious cycle that complicates the quest for peace. So it it seems like the conflict will never end because when one person dies, another takes his place. And as the New York Times described it, it's gritty, messy, and morally complicated. And it's usually Waleed that's taking your place. (laughs) It sounds like Waleed's beard, actually. Right. That took the place of his face. Uh, So, wow, this this show really triggers so many emotions. So thank you, Dan and Kali, for sharing your thoughts on Fauda and for going through the psychological roller coaster that was watching it. Listeners, to make sure you don't miss an episode of Jewish Boston's The Vibe of the Tribe podcast, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and follow at Jewish Boston on social media. Thanks, as always, to our editor and the founder of this podcast, Jesse, and our composer, Ryan. And thank you, Netflix. <laughs> 2019, mother- right. so, okay. get it right. We haven't le- yet learned any vocal warm-ups. So I'm going to try vocal fry.